Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. And I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. How are you doing? I'm all right, David. How about yourself tonight? Good. Good, Bruce. I About a week ago, I had a terrible grind pull in a hockey game, so I'm still slowly recovering from that. But uh, in a few months, I should be able to walk again. A uh, big win from the Oilers. A uh, really big win against a, a pretty tough team. I don't know if you hear that in the background, but my wife is practicing her stick handling <laughs> oh, yeah. up in the living room with a hockey ball. Um, uh, anyway, um, big win, Bruce. How are you doing? Well, feeling better about the team. Five wins in a row and the last three wins against, you know, legit strong teams you know beat vegas beat winnipeg at winnipeg and then tonight against carolina 6-1 you know yeah. little doubt they scored when anytime you score the winning goal in the first minute of play chances are that uh you had a strong game they really look good highly efficient um moving the puck well complete turnaround from the last carolina game where the carolina looked oh. like the Harlem Globetrotters to the Oilers looking like the Washington Generals. And this time it was the the opposite way. Carolina couldn't get anything going. And it was the Oilers who were dominant in this game. Bruce, this is our uh, two good things, two bad things and two numbers podcast because it was a decisive and uh, first game of a big homestand victory for the Oilers. They are now 10 wins in 23 games. We'll go with two good things each. What is your first good thing, Amundo? Yeah, I'm going to go with Evan Bouchard, who I thought had a really strong game. I thought he wielded that stick of his like a wand in this game. Man, he was just getting stick on puck in all three zones. He would just flick a stick in there and get a get a piece of it. He earned a couple of assists in the first period. And then my favorite play that he made, uh, which didn't earn him an assist only because it was a four-way passing play, and he was the guy who started it was the uh, second Zach Hyman goal that made it 4 nothing, And Carolina was skedaddling through the neutral zone. It looked like they had numbers and speed and the puck, except for uh, Evan Bouchard reached in one hand on a stick and was able to not only check the puck away from Carolina, but he was actually able to pull it back towards the Carolina goal. And lo and behold, there's three Oilers there and only two uh, Canes that are back because they committed to the rush and the three Oilers proceeded to uh, make a glorious passing play. Uh, uh, McDavid to Nugent Hopkins to Hyman uh, for the finish. Uh, but again, I thought, you know, that play very easily could have been an odd man rush the other way, but for the uh, uh, play by uh, Bouchard. And I thought really he was uh, strong all game. I like the use of his stick in his own zone as well. And he, tipped one dangerous shot into the netting and there was even one sequence where he lost his stick and and I just thought he played smartly he didn't take a penalty he just kept held his position and uh and uh kept uh kept the play to the outside and just kind of kept his head and I just thought that's the main thing that he did all game really was uh he played a very very smart game tonight and uh he wound up with what's his official stat line here uh, two assists and plus one only, which I'm not quite sure how he must have made a line change on the one goal because he made the play in the neutral zone. Maybe he went off on that uh, fourth goal, and indeed he did. So, uh, uh, anyways, he had uh, uh, he had a I thought a splendid overall game and uh, uh, a good thing. I think that he shifted off for another goal too. Yeah, this, uh, we made a pass goal. out of his zone. Yeah, um, third goal. Yeah, yeah, and he shifted off. So, plus minus is NHL official plus minus is not a very useful oh, it's, stat. It's it's flawed over large numbers. It it makes more sense than it does in any given play. Like weird well, things, that's weird things sure. can happen. Over a few seasons, like over a career, it, you can see who was good and who was not using that stat. But it almost takes a career. Uh, yeah, Bouchard Bruce, he 
what we've noticed, what I've noticed is he's really skating. He's not mm-hmm. a player who trusts his skating. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think uh, very much. He hasn't trusted himself to get himself out of trouble or to attack. Like Darnell Nurse, for instance, is the opposite. From word go, he was a skater with the puck that kind of marked his game in junior hockey, like get the puck and fly up the ice. Right. Bouchard's never been that player. And, and early on in the NHL, he really has has sometimes been quite static on the ice. But when he's um, when he trusts his skating and tries to make plays and make moves with the puck, he is he is extremely adept with the puck, um, stick handling around other players and moving with the puck. And tonight he showed that. He was just um, skating everywhere, uh, uh, looked f- fast, which for mm-hmm. Evan Bouchard is quite remarkable. He never looks fast, but he he did on occasion look fast in this game. He anticipated the slick. play really well. Was what, was what I was seeing, and so he was taking the first step in the right direction, and that makes a huge yeah. difference. Yeah, smart player, and um, you know Paul Coffey's post of Edmonton right now for encouraging the defenseman, I think, to be more offensive minded, but it might be really helping Evan Bouchard, and. Um, I think he's got 24 points in 23 games now. I wow. predicted at the start of the year he might get 90 points. Mm-hmm. So most people thought that was probably not that aggressive. little aggressive, but uh-huh. um, he had had 37 points in 32 games after the Barry trade. So I thought, yes, why not? Yeah. And uh, yeah, he's just really coming alive and um, playing exceptionally well for the Oilers right now. Bruce, my first, my good thing, my first good thing will be Matthias Janmark. Janmark is known to you and I, at least, because we track this on video as a player who hardly ever makes a mistake on a grade A shot against. He is just invariably in the right place at the right time. And this year, I don't know how many even strength minutes he's played now, around 150. He's only made two major mistakes on grade A shots, which, you know, for a winger, like the, like in most would have about 10 by then when he's just made two. Um, tonight he got involved quite a bit on the attack and they were generally speaking smaller plays, a number of them on the boards, as in the first goal in the game where mm-hmm. the puck comes out, Nurse puts it around the boards and Janmark just wins the little heat board battle where he puts it down the ice. I, I was surprised it wasn't icing, honestly. I don't know if it hit the Carolina player, but anyway, it was waved off quite early on. The referee thought the Carolina player must've made contact. So Janmark wins the puck puts it down the ice, Fogel releases to it, and and it's in the net with McLeod uh, making the play. The Caroline defenseman seemed intimidated by Fogel's forecheck and kind of muffed it, I thought. Yeah. And um, it's just such a key moment in the game, isn't it, when when you make an early mistake like that. And good good hustle by Fogel on that play and a, and a nice board win by Janmark. Mm-hmm. Um the next, uh, the third goal by Hyman, he's also, uh, he makes a, a play along the boards. He sh- I think it's Nugent Hopkins who shifts off the ice. Janmark comes out and um, the puck comes around him on the boards and he just puts it back to Hyman in the corner. Then Hyman attacks the net and Janmark makes a fantastic play. <laughs> he gets on the right side of the Carolina defender, between the Carolina defender and his own net, and he mm-hmm. blocks that defender. Yeah from Hyman's attack at the net. And it was it was a critical play to the goal being scored, his his intelligence on that play. Um, a few minutes later, he goes to the net uh, on a um, outside shot by Fogel, and he tips the puck on net very nicely. Early in the second period, another uh, board battle in his own zone and another dangerous rush up the ice, which ends up with Cody Cece getting a, a good shot on net. Finally, he... Um, Three minutes into the second period, um, he blocks a shot and Warren Fogle then um, goes in off that block shot, makes a very nice move early on to, to, to gain space in the neutral zone, charges in and just jams it past the goal. Fogle, Fogle I think, got tired of being stopped, so he just thought he was going to ram it through the goalie and it worked quite well. So uh, all game long, Yanmark is really good with the puck. He is extremely smart on defense, and um, he's a player who can help you win a Stanley Cup. I can I, I know a lot a number of fans don't believe that. I'm not exactly sure why, Bruce, 
But um, with him on your third or fourth line, you just have such a dependable player who's useful in so many situations, smart player, with now and then some offensive thrust, three assists tonight. Mm-hmm. A great game from Matthias Janmark. Yeah, well, we had him with six um, contributions to grade A shots in this game, and four of them, by our code, were one battles. Yeah. And most of them along the boards, the one was that great uh, shot block off the one-timer. He was really well positioned to uh, to block that, and then Fogel took it the distance in a rather surprising turn of events and actually scored on a breakaway, which I miss at first in my memory. But uh, things were going right for uh, for the Oilers tonight. There was another play Janmark made on the penalty kill where he took the puck up the ice and he wound up going, uh, as uh, Jack Michaels described it, one on five. And, oh, yeah. And he took the puck into the into the zone and into the corner, and, you know, and he didn't overstay his welcome, but he, he wilded quite a few seconds off the puck by not panicking and just firing the puck down the ice, but by saying, oh, I've got some open ice, I'm going to use it. And I've seen him do that uh, before in the penalty box, never quite to the one on five uh, extreme, but... Uh, uh, just willing to use the ice and to kill the penalty by carrying the puck outside of his own zone and, you know, making the other team come and get it off him. And I got to say, I really like this player and I have, I liked him last year. I think he's got a, like a super bad rap in oil country. Does he have and, bad Corsi numbers or something? Is it, yeah, is it that? They're not, yeah, they're not great. And if you look at his line mates, they're not necessarily all that great either, you know, but yeah. uh, uh, he's got, um, you know, he plays on a checking line and he's a good checker on a on a checking line and he's a good veteran player and he, you know, he gets gets into the tough areas and he wins battles and he's smart and he skates. You know, I mean, he's not going to score 30 goals, but uh, you don't need everybody scoring 30 goals. You need role players doing different roles and he... Uh, he does a few different things, plays a few positions and uh, very good on the penalty kill. And, you know, it's for a million bucks a year, I mean, what do you expect? <laughs> yeah. What's your second good thing, Bruce? Yeah, I'm going to go a little surprisingly, but with uh, Stu Skinner, uh, in a 6-1 game where the Oilers were coasting from early going, I thought that the uh, it was a very busy night for Stu. He, he wound up facing 39 shots. And I bet you he came out of his net to handle the puck almost as many times as that. There was just a, seemed like a zillion times Stu was coming out, fielding pucks, moving it, making passes. And so, you know, he was very, very involved in this game and held his ground uh, really well, made a, a couple of excellent saves, but mostly, you know, just solid, solid. And and uh, he made a few um, saves where, you know, he was able to freeze the puck and, you know, get the whistle and get a line change because the Oilers did spend some parts of the game running around in their end. And Carolina Hurricanes, this just in, are a very strong four-checking team, and they were able to turn pucks over in Edmonton territory and uh, feed the points and then set up plays from there. Brett Burns, man, that guy. Anyway, they, uh, uh, I thought uh, uh, Skinner just was just rock-solid throughout the game no real chance on the on the one goal that beat him that we'll talk about in a minute but uh uh he got um uh you know 38 saves so what's that a 959 or something in this game or no even higher than that 970 almost 975 yeah he's on a he's on a pretty good streak right now yeah well, all i'll say about Stuart skinner is darnell nurse owes him a beer Mm-hmm. The team, yeah, eight goals against in the last five games, four yeah. to Vegas and four in the other four games combined. And guess what? They won all five games. He's playing like they need him to play. He was a, he really did was a big part of saving last season after another kind of iffy start, and uh, he came up so big last year. And it looks like they're uh, going to be counting on him to do the same thing. Well, they are counting on him to do the same thing again this year. And it looks like he might be up to it. I mean, he's he's not a spectacular goalie, but he can be a safe and sound goalie, a steady goalie. And with, you know, with like a 910 to 9.15 save percentage. And that's all this team really needs. They don't need um, Grant Fuhrer. 
necessarily to win. Um, they but they do need a steady goalie, and he mm-hmm. was that tonight. Nine seventy four, nice. Chris, my um, second good thing was Zach Hyman. He was spectacular in this game tonight. He got a hat trick. He's now tied for sixth in NHL goal scoring with 15 goals, uh, tied with Kyle Connor and Sidney Crosby. Mm-hmm. So um, Hyman has been a, just a fantastic free agent signing for the Edmonton Oilers. Um, you know, they got him at, what is it, five and a half million a year for seven years. Mm-hmm. And um, he's in the third year of that, correct? Yep. And he's just been brilliant for the Edmonton Oilers as a two-way player. You know, he's had some tough spells uh, last year in the playoffs, included when he's been injured. Yeah. But um, when that guy's healthy, his puck protection is utterly astonishing, the way he can control the puck. And, um, you know, on the we saw that on the first goal. He wins it in the corner, and he just powers his way to the net. It's just amazing how he's able to do that again and again. Now, he had some help, as we said, from the Yanmark pick. Yeah. Uh, but still, a fantastic play by Zach Hyman. The next goal, um, about nine minutes later, um, I mean, that's just a, it's just a brilliant uh, neutral zone play by Bouchard to poke the puck back. McDavid over to Nuge, and Nuge makes such a beautiful pass. Hyman one times into that. That is a goal that the players on the ice do. They will, they will. Just, I can imagine they just feel like fantastic because it's such a beautiful goal, and everyone involved in it in that moment knows that it's a perfect play um, where you're rushing in there and, and scoring like that. And if I'm not mistaken, Bruce, I think this game, the Oilers since Knobloch took over, the Oilers, I think, have had ten rush goals at even strength, and they've given up twelve. But tonight it was three, two, one. So they're now even. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. That sounds yeah, right. 13, yeah, 13, 13. So finally that monkey's off their back in the Knobloch era, at least, where they've, they're have they scoring as much on the rush mm-hmm. as they're giving up on the rush. And it started out actually kind of rough, even in the Knobloch era. They've, they've been coming on in recent games. So Hyman, uh, just a beautiful finish on that goal. Um, next up. Where do we got here? He, um, he, uh, McDavid, um, what is it? What was that one? McDavid shot. McDavid takes a shot. Can't remember this play. It's early in the second period and it's a five alarmer. McDavid mm-hmm. takes a oh, right. yeah. inside shot. And, yeah, a uh, really hard shot and it got stuck in the goalie's pad. Oh, and Hyman yeah. tried to stuff it in and it just barely somehow missed the post. But no, not for uh, lack of effort from our man that Zach. That play. Hyman charged in there hard like <laughs> he always does. Just charges in there hard. Got some nose for and, them, uh, So then, and then about nine minutes after that, he takes a pass drive. So it'll make a nice little pass to him in the neutral zone. And he Hyman just charges down the boards, past the Carolina defender, cuts hard to the net, takes it hard to the net, and almost scores. Just another yeah. fantastic play. Finally, um, right near the in near the end of the second period, McLeod moves in, takes a nice hard outside shot. McLeod was really playing with some confidence tonight. It's great to yeah. see. Takes a nice hard outside shot, and again, Hyman just charges to the net and almost puts in the rebound. He uh, he's an amazing player out there. And then finally, his last goal was just an astonishing play by Connor McDavid. His his his, his hand eye coordination is second to none in the NHL. And, Deeks around one player and puts it back uh, to Hyman, who's who's on the other side, and Hyman's uh, one times it in the net. So you know um, he's he, Zach Hyman has been lucky enough to play with Connor McDavid in Edmonton. He was smart enough though to sign with mm-hmm. Connor McDavid in Edmonton, and he's making the most of it. You know you can say what you want. You know Milan Lucic was was signed a big contract to come play with Connor McDavid, yep. and he, he just didn't have it in him to make the most of it. And but Hyman's doing that. I really like this line of McDavid, Nugent Hopkins, and and Hyman. I mean, obviously, right now they're just they're the, probably the best line in the NHL. Yeah, Nuge is really starting to cook too. They really need that from Nuge, and he's yeah. he's a good fit. Yeah, because he's unselfish. Yeah, he doesn't need the puck. He just yeah. needs the puck for a split second on his stick. Mm-hmm. But Hyman and McDavid are guys who who want the puck more mm-hmm. and who need the puck to make their best plays. 
So he's actually a good glue player on this line because he just keeps the play going in a very smart fashion and he almost uh, pass. But but Hyman is the guy who to the net. David is is McDavid. Fantastic line. Bruce. Hyman had one more chance on the power play late too. A jam shot from uh, edge of the crease when, uh, when uh, Bouchard. Oh, there you go. You froze. Yeah, yeah, you froze as well. Bouchard had an outside shot. They were trying to set him up a little bit on that one power play that they got in this game. And yeah. it was uh, uh, and the that hat trick goal, I mean, it looked like a rush goal, didn't it? Except for one little thing. The puck never actually left Carolina territory. Yeah. And David's McDavid cool. was able to pick it up like a foot inside the blue line and he turned it into this phenomenal rush and dangle and beat the D man and then an amazing pass, perfect pass over to uh Hyman, that one I'll have a pretty good chance to be on the uh, play of the night. Uh, oh, yeah. Night tonight sure. with all that work by McDavid to set up his line mate for a hat trick. You know, I mean, that's a nice way to do it. So, And that was the Gretzky point for McDavid. Third period, big lead, and you just don't give up. You just keep mm-hmm. hustling, yeah. keep hustling, steal the puck off them because Gretzky did that all the time. Steal the puck off them, make a nice mm-hmm. play and score. Now, Gretzky would have had two or three Gretzky points tonight, you know, really run up the score. It's not really McDavid's MO to to do that. Um, he takes the, the pedal to the metal off once the Oilers have a big lead and he plays a more defensive game. And uh, But tonight mm-hmm. he made that nice play. Bruce, what is your bad thing? Yeah, not a lot of bad in this game, but I picked out the, the one play. It's kind of easy to pick out because it shows up on the scoreboard for Carolina. Uh, but I picked it up about seven seconds before the puck was in the net because I hated the play right from the beginning. And this was uh, Darnell Nurse jumping into the attack, which is all well and good, but with a five-goal lead, really, how much do you need to jump into the attack? And seriously, if you're the left defenseman and you have the puck in the left corner, how much do you need to pass the puck back to the left defenseman uh, who's you? So he's not there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I mean, maybe there should be a forward covering and, you know, he did just miss Dreisaitl who was behind him. But once the puck got behind, it was jailbreak time and it was a three on one. And Connor Brown tried to tackle the goal scorer in the neutral zone. He would have been wiser just simply to take him down and take his two minutes at that point. Yeah. But Stahl, big Stahl was able to muscle through him and uh, they made the, you know, nice pass and, and Stahl blasted at home into the short side. Skinner had no prayer on that one. But I just thought, just slightly reckless play, like you got the lead, uh, you know, just keep it simple. Keep the puck in front of you. And if you're the D-man, I mean, don't be roaming too far out of position. And there, he wasn't the only one. Kulak made a similar way up in the play a couple minutes later, and it came back, but it didn't bite him that time. But, uh, and... I get that in a blowout, you know, you lose your focus a little bit. But uh, in this case, he lost not only the the focus, but the shutout. Yeah, why lose your focus? Why do that? Like, your goalie has a shutout. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, listen, we are both, I think, let the record show, we are both big Darnell Nurse supporters and Darnell Nurse fans. But these plays are why it's so hard to love Darnell Nurse's game. Because there's just these intermittent total brain farts where it's like, what are you doing? You know, you're you're protecting your goalie shutout. This game is well under control. Yeah. Um, there's no need to rush up the ice, and there's certainly no need to make a <laughs> a blind, blind pass back from behind pass the goal line. Yeah. From yeah, as you're charging in there, like take take it in yeah. and for, and and then hold the puck deep in the end. Like have the pres like presence of mind is such a big thing mm-hmm. in hockey, and it just seems he lacks that now and then that presence of mind in certain situations to to make the conservative play. He's just, he must just be a super confident guy who thinks he can, yeah. which which may be the key to his success, right? Like maybe you're not darn, if you don't, if you're cautious, maybe you're not Darnell Nurse then and you're not making $9.25 million a year. So maybe what makes us so frustrated now then is actually the thing that is part of his greatness because he can play great hockey, but man, mm-hmm. that, was a, that was a terrible play. 
Anyway. Well, the good news is that he made it with a five-nothing lead, so I guess you know yeah. it wasn't costly. Like you'd hate to have a goal against like that in a tight game in the third. It's like four-two at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah that would have been really two, bad. Two. Yeah. Well, we would we would be much more as critical as we are now as, as I am now. We would be apoplectic. Yeah. All right, my bad thing actually comes a few minutes after that. The orders make it six-one, and then um, the one line that's been kind of quiet all night has been the dry settle line with Kane and his new white hockey stick with white tape. Which is kind of cool, and Connor Brown, who's been struggling all year, and could use a goal. Man, he could use a goal. He could use a goal. And uh, Drysdale makes a really nice play. He wins the puck in the corner. He puts it to Kane in the slot, and Kane gets off two fantastic shots on net. He's unlucky not to score. And then Brown gets a a, a rebound where the goalie's kind of flopped and at his mercy. And Brown tries to, the right play to loft it over him. But his loft is a little too lofty, and it hits the upper crossbar and doesn't go in. So my bad thing is he doesn't score. It would have been great to see Drysaddle get a point. Great to see Kane get a point. Great to see uh, Connor Brown get a goal in in this game. It would have meant a lot to him. Um, you know, that's it. I think that line has the has the makings of a good line. You know, Drysaddle and Kane can have their defensive struggles, but I think Brown could be a real glue player on that line. Um, and uh, help them out. And once he gets, once he gets his feet fully going and his hands going, and his and his game is still rusty after being off all of last year. It's it's still uh, not all there. And you know, I guess some people will think it's never going to come, and the Oilers shouldn't have let him play ten games and shouldn't have signed him, and on and on. But I I, I do think that his game will come, Bruce. And, you know, sometime in January or February, probably, we'll start to see a Connor Brown who's like, who does really impress us? Uh, he could use a goal, though, to pick himself oh. up, though. My son said he couldn't buy a goal if he spent all of next year's bonus on it. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very, that is a, that's a very uh, witty comment. I will say that. Mm -hmm. That is a very, because it's both, it's quite dry. Yes. Put it that way. <laughs> it's both a compliment. Yeah, it's both a, uh, yeah, it's, of it's kind of a, a, a blended a comment for sure. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Tell Kevin that's a very good. I thought that was quite good. Brilliant. Mm. Uh, <laughs> you know, that line tonight: uh, Drysaddle, Brown, and Kane. They all went minus one. Yeah. Yeah, they weren't great. Six they weren't game. great. It's the truth. That's like Dreisaitl didn't so, have his best game. Leon sometimes doesn't, right? But it wasn't the forward. The goal against wasn't really the forward's fault. And they were unlucky not to score a couple times. Yeah. They, sometimes they, it's the way it works out. That yeah. It just isn't bad. going in for you. Yeah, they weren't great, but they weren't bad, you know. Okay. Brown's a pretty good PK or two. Brown is. He's part of this new PK. Mm -hmm. And and you know the other thing they have now, Bruce. They got a for the they have a third line. They're finally keeping McLeod and Fogel together with either Janmark or Ryan. And mm, I don't know, like no, yeah. it must. I just think if Jay Woodcroft is watching these games, he is frustrated because like like yeah. they're saying, oh, finally they're passing the puck well, and Jay Woodcroft's probably sitting there thinking, well, I was telling them to take the time and you know make good passes and like everything they're saying that they're doing well now. But one thing that they didn't do, there's a couple things. They didn't consistently have a third line. And I, I, I do put that on Woodcroft. He didn't put McLeod together with Fogel and one other guy, probably Ryan or maybe Janmark, whoever it was supposed to be. And he didn't consistently give them that job, give them the opportunity to thrive in that role. And the other thing is, which has now been pointed out a number of times by a number of observers, is the PK unit was quite a rat, like shifting around, shifting forwards around and, they, and they've tried to settle that down a bit so yeah yeah it's uh, yeah anyway they got three regular pairings and uh, uh well two regular pairings on d on d when it's not an actual d man who's in the box uh as to harney was on one of the penalties tonight so bouchard took, took bouchard some shifts that there, time yeah. but i thought oh Daharney, I thought he had a really strong game tonight. Yeah, so did really, I. I thought really he had solid. one of his better games. And, um, yeah, I can see why Daharney's in the lineup. Uh, Bruce, your numero. 
Yeah, well, I have to go with 41 seconds, David. Two goals in 41 seconds to start the game. Second fastest in the NHL this year, and that, and that may stand up for quite a while. And second fastest in the history of the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, the first year that they scored 400 goals, uh, they celebrated that feat in uh, uh, Los Angeles in the old uh, forum late in the season by scoring two goals in the first 24 seconds. Messier from Fogelin, Lumley from Lowe. I looked it up. I remember watching that game. Wow. And I just remember the record, two and 24 seconds. It's, I'm not sure if it's, it actually might be the league record. Very close. Passes two goals from the start of a game. So tonight's 41 was fairly modest, but really it was sort of two thrusts down the ice. Uh, the one you thought that might have been icing uh, where Yanmark um, uh, won the board battle and tipped it down. And I think they probably waved it off because the defenseman played the man and not the puck. And I think that might have been just a simple call on that. But uh, Fogel went down and, you know, overpowered the D-man made a good centering pass, and Ryan McLeod went to the front of the net and got his stick down on the ice, and uh, and the pass came out, and he just banged it in. For, so for Ryan McLeod, it was his second goal in 48 seconds, but they were a week apart because <laughs> he scored the empty netter in Winnipeg last Thursday, and then he scored the very early one tonight. And then they just kept coming, and it was just seconds later that they got, got the uh, beauty from uh, Matthias Ekholm, who uh, got the game winner at the in the end of the day at the 41-second mark by jumping up into the play. And, and uh, Bouchard got the puck to McDavid, and McDavid read the play as he's wont to do and fed the nice cross-ice feed to uh, Ekholm, and he got it off the ice and up and over the sprawling goalie and bang two nothing before the game's even a minute old and uh, Oilers are really in command from that point and, uh, just a great start yep and it all starts with the, just a rush play by a Carolina defenseman just a little bit freaky freaked out because uh, Fogel's coming in on him maybe a little mm -hmm. bit freaked because the referee hasn't called him icing and boom in the net Bruce my number is my numbers are 146 and 18. So I noticed James Hamblin in a good way tonight. Mm -hmm. Thought he played solid hockey mm -hmm. on the three wise men line with um, Hamblin, Gagne, and Derek Ryan. Three players who are really smart hockey players at this point, mm -hmm. including Sam Gagne, who I didn't think was a smart mm -hmm. hockey player any, early in his career. He is now. He's a very effective two-way hockey player. Derek mm -hmm. Ryan is a, the smartest hockey player on the ice. Um, wins a surprising number of battles for his uh, for his size out there, and he's always in the right place on the ice. He and Yamark are defensive stalwarts, and Hamlin is just fitting in very nicely. Um, he blocked a shot. He made a nice play on the attack this game. He's just he's figuring out a way to help out. Well, I was just I was just thinking. I, I knew he was from Edmonton. My I was he, he my wife asked who's this Hamlin, so mm -hmm. I said, well, he's from Edmonton, and then so I just checked his. Hockey database. Yeah. Uh, this is elite hockey prospects. The numbers I just gave you: 146 and uh, 18. He was on the same Southside Athletic AAA club, U15 club, as Tyler Benson in 2012-13. And on that team, Tyler Benson had 146 points, but had 18. But who's in the NHL right now, Bruce? Yeah, the guy with the 18 points. It is fascinating to see. Exactly. And it's it's just weird how things work out in life. And um, it's not usual. It's usually the guy who had the 146 points in 33 games. And Tyler Benson was the megastar of Edmonton oh, hockey yeah. of that decade. You know, everyone was expecting him. And then he just kept getting hurt, kept getting hurt, kept getting hurt. He actually looked when he first came to the Oilers like he might make it kind of as a grinding role player. But his skating um, just was never at an NHL caliber. He's now with the Henderson uh, Knights and he's doing okay. But I suspect 
that he'll go to Europe uh, next year or the year after that. I wouldn't be surprised at all. And maybe really have a strong career in Switzerland where, he, where his skill with the puck will again come to the forefront. But Hamblin has found a way to work himself into the conversation for the Oilers. And he's making a real strong pitch, way stronger than his first time up with the Oilers, to stick with his team as a fourth-line player. He's not the biggest guy, obviously. None of those three are. The three wise men are right. smaller yeah, they're, players. They're but all that's, pretty they're smart hockey players. He is a smart diminutive. hockey player. He's pretty fast, Hamblin. Mm-hmm. The other, the, there, there was two, there's two other players, Bruce, on that team who made the NHL. Stuart Skinner oh. and Matt Berlin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Skinner and, um, I mean, Hamlin was a year younger. Yeah, so he, he was, was, you know, and that's, that, you know, when you're talking about a U14 team, that's that's a massive deal. That and is. in his second year, he played 31 games, scored 32 goals, 30 assists, so two points a game. And he was a strong player for, for them. But they, uh, those three all played together in the NHL last year when Benson was up, and uh, they were they were they were um, and Hamlin came up at a different time. But they in the training camp they all played together in in uh, a couple games, and he's just uh, there's lots to like about James Hamlin's game, and uh, he's sneaky dangerous in the offensive zone, but he's just very very. Um, uh, uh, X's and O's players. He's in the in the right place, and he digs and, in. And he digs and he digs in, and yeah, he very nearly cashed one tonight on a rebound where he came out and tried to stuff the That's backhand right. in, and, and uh, the Hardy missed the net. Goalie mm-hmm. made a really good save on it. Yeah. And uh, uh, anyways, he's uh, uh, an easy player to like. That's for sure. And now he's got uh, you know. Two goals and assists, three points in 13 games, but playing fourth line with, you know, no sort of push at all. He's only, you know, maybe playing eight, eight, nine minutes a night, and plus two, which again, you know, that's that's not the be all and end all. But the first thing it tells you is that he's not getting caved. Yeah, I mean, it's not, you know, just if you're holding your own out there on the fourth line. Because, you know, the fourth line generally doesn't win the matchup battles, and often they're on the short end of, you know, of when the other team gets their top guys out there against your fourth line, you know, you're, you're doing well just to hang on. And uh, I've, I've liked his game, and he's sticking around. He's played 13 games now in, in a row, and he seems to be, you know, part of the part of the mix on the, on the team. And good for him. Yeah. Very inspired was, signings by the Oilers. They signed him as a after his overage season in junior mm-hmm. to an AHL contract, and then in his second AHL season, they signed him again, upgraded that contract to an NHL contract, and now here he is. Played ten games last year, and this year he's you know a bigger factor and uh, appears to be uh, you know he, he's. He might have a career, who knows? But he certainly had more of a career than anybody would have guessed when nobody drafted him three years in a row. Indeed. And, you know, initially he might have been kind of a, you know, Woodcroft's Will Acton. Remember when um, Dallas Akins came to town, he brought Will Acton with him, a kind of a center that he liked, a grinding center from the HL, who was not at all, all, not at all capable of playing in the NHL. Anyway, that didn't work out, but... You know, you could say, well, Hamblin was Woodcroft's Acton, right? Because he Woodcroft liked him in the AHL, but he he came up Hamblin and uh, he did okay, but not mm-hmm. great. And because because this summer I didn't hear anyone, including us, saying, well, Hamblin's in the running for fourth line center. Nobody was saying that, and yet he here he is, and it's not Woodcroft um, who's who's following through on this. It's a new coach. It's Knobloch who's decided he likes him too. Um, and you can see why. Um, he's just around the puck, around the play. He's getting his nose involved, winning winning battles, um, covering himself in his own zone, which is absolutely critical for a fourth-line center to be strong defensively, and he's doing that. Bruce, tonight's conundrum. We shall delve into the Philip Broberg matter. 
What I a had a feeling up. he might be the conundrum of the night. What a screw up um, this whole thing is. Um, you know, I really think a lot of the player, and I think if he is moved, and it's sounding like he's, he didn't practice today with the team, um, I, I just have this feeling that this this is one that could haunt the Oilers because he, when when they came to end of some other high draft picks like Nail Yakupov, Yesapuli Yarvi, Kader Yamamoto, um, going back Sam Gagne, um, they knew when those players left that they had reached their ceiling with the Oilers and they weren't going to get any better with the Oilers. Maybe they could go somewhere else and show something there. But you could be certain with the Oilers, these players had been given every chance, every opportunity, and they weren't getting better with the Oilers. That was a certainty. We do not know that at all with Philip Roberg. Oh, sure don't. And um, he has shown last year in a spurt with Evan Bouchard, he played really strong hockey for about six weeks with Bouchard. The weird thing, there's been a couple weird things with, with his career. Um, the owners are in this win now mode. That's the major thing working against him. So instead of him working his way into the lineup like Oscar Clefbaum was allowed to do, they signed Brett Kulak because they need to have a playoff player, a lefty, with a very similar skill set to Broberg. Then they signed Matthias Ekholm, a player with a different skill set, but a, a far superior player than either Kulak or Broberg at this point. Right. And um, so th- there's two guys signed in the win now mode, and that blocks Broberg. Then he's also blocked because no one ever gets hurt. Like, and this is a good thing that nobody gets hurt, but it's really unexpected in a year and a quarter. Hardly anyone on the Oilers defense has been injured. If there had been an injury, he would have got to play. But it's, it's, it also has to be said that Vincent DeHarnay beat him out and, but beat him out for a very specific reason. The Oilers don't have that really big Bobby Clobber defenseman who can level people on the PK. They were desperate for that particular player. And Vinny DeHarnay really scratched that itch. So he's a he's a very different player than than Broberg. So you can see why the owners would pick him. He's on the right side. Broberg's on the left side. It's really Kulak actually, who who is the player who, if they wanted to give Broberg a real shot, they would have traded Kulak this summer, used the cap space, um, or some, and they could still do that. But I just think it's it just seems like it's too late to do what I think is the obvious move because I don't think Broberg is that worse a player, honestly, than Brett yeah. Kulak. I li- and I like Brett Kulak a lot, mm-hmm. but I just think Broberg could step in and play the game that Brett Kulak is playing right now quite easily, and um, it's that's within the realm of how he could play right now. But mm-hmm. he doesn't look like he's going to get that chance, and because the orders are in win now mode, and they don't want to go with the rookie, they they, they feel safer with the veteran player. And now, now Broberg's agent is trying to get him out of town, and that's that's clear. Yeah, yeah. The agent uh, agent doesn't look particularly good in all of this. Uh, on the other hand, you're never quite sure who the agent might have been talking to on the uh, Oilers' side of things. Ken Holland says he did not give any such permission. Well, maybe the agent didn't talk to Ken Holland, but talked to Jeff Jackson. I mean, we don't. We don't know this. I hope they wouldn't be screwing up like I mean that no. would be such a colossal screw up between Holland and Jackson. No. If they're screwing up like that, that's mm-hmm. a, that is amateur yeah. hour. Yeah, that well, is, I'm I, yeah, I'm just saying there's just no way of knowing what's going on in there. Yeah, uh, and it's you know it's it's not clear the chain of command when you know you've got an assistant coach who oh yeah he's a special advisor to the owner and you kind of wonder about the structure of the organization to be honest anyway uh i i will take the straight and narrow and say this is ken holland's man and these are ken holland's decisions which in this order since he came to edmonton were draft uh philip roberg with the first pick that he had and what remains the highest pick that he's had in the in the five years that he's been drafting here uh and so clearly a major investment in the young uh swedish blue liner and then he uh he first uh, gave darnell nurse a, a bridge contract and then he signed him for locked him up for eight years 
And so there's one left spot, D spot gone, and you know, and and as you'd expect. And then he went out and he traded for Brett Kulak in the short term. And after Kulak had a good run with Edmonton in 2022, he signed him not just to an extension, but a four-year extension, $2.75 million for a third-pairing defenseman, $11 million contract. That's a huge investment. And so now that's the guy that's really in the way yeah. of of uh, Broberg landing on the team like the natural growth would be he'd come in he'd be a third pairing guy and he'd work his way up from there well the third pairing guy is locked in at sort of two million above the minimum salary for four years and then of course the Ekholm trade was executed and they brought him in he has also three years to run so all of a sudden here's um Broberg looking up the the roster and there's three left shot defensemen that among them are getting an annual cap hit of $18 million, and they're all signed until at least 2026. So where does he go? Like, where does he yeah. fit? Nowhere on the left side. And now you're thinking, well, you want to play on the right side. Well, except for all the time you've been training him in Bakersfield, you haven't really been doing any of that stuff. And it's just, they're, they're, it just hasn't been a coordinated development plan. And when he does get called up, like he got called up here, what, three weeks ago when they went on to the LTIR thing and they and they had to get him, had to get Broberg's salary and bonuses on the uh, roster as soon as they declared long term. So like, they, remember they sent out, uh, uh, who they sent out for one day, it was Lavoie, and then they brought him right back because they had to bring Broberg up. Well, Broberg, he's played two games. He played on November 20th. Uh, 10 minutes, and then November 22nd at Carolina, he played five minutes and 17 seconds. He made, he, he was on for one goal against, of which the Oilers allowed four in the first period. So it wasn't like he was a big screw up in that game. And he got benched, and then the next game he got press box, and he's been there. They've been going 12-6 ever since. And this is two weeks now, right? That was two weeks ago that Carolina game. They haven't returned into Bakersfield. I mean, if should be simple. Either you're playing here, or you're the odd man out in the press box for a game or two, and if it's any longer than that, back down to Bakersfield you go. No waivers required, and you get out there and you play 25 minutes for you know a few games, and that hasn't happened. So, what's the plan? Uh, I had a big rant about this on Low Tide's radio show today, and I wrote a post about it for Culta Hockey in August, saying where's he going to land because he's got this huge three-story brick wall of left shot defensemen in his way. The plan should be to, to, should have been or should be to trade Kulak and use that cap space elsewhere and use Broberg there. That's the, I think that would be proper cap management, proper development of the team. Mm -hmm. But they just don't want to do that because Kulak is a veteran who's playing solid hockey. Like he's been playing strong two-way hockey. So I, I get their thinking and Kulak has been good in the playoffs. Yeah, so yeah. it has made things differently. But that also gives him trade value like yeah you, you have a player with some trade value here mm -hmm. move them for what you need but anyway Bruce, so there's a new development and i don't know how how this is highly speculative where we i'm not an insight we are not insiders in any way we're just hockey fans but something really kind of interesting happened today in columbus so there's been a lot of talk recently about maybe moving jack campbell for elvis mers leakins and they're both similar ages Similar amount of money, contracts. not doing well. Similar contract, similar turn. Merzlikens, $5.4 million a year. Campbell, $5 million a year. Both needing a change of scenery, not doing well. Although Merzlikens is having a bit better year than Campbell this year. Anyway, so um, then there, then there's this thing with Broberg. And the word we get from the, I think it was Bob Stoffer who said this, that if they were to move Broberg, or maybe it was someone else, I can't recall. Anyway, the idea would be, to get a player with a similar cap hit um, who is also kind of a like a first round draft pick kind of player who hasn't panned out a similar right. kind of player to Broberg. So suddenly today, um, Carolina, uh, Columbus puts two players on their injured reserve, Elvis Merzlikens and Cole Sillinger. Cole Sillinger is a first round draft pick, 12th overall in 2021, who had a big first year in the NHL. And since then has scored four goals in 81 NHL games, clearly struggling. 
He's also the son of Mike Sillinger, who was in player personnel with the Oilers for a long time. So these two guys, the same day Broberg is held off the ice, he doesn't practice with the team. These two players are suddenly, and, and, and Merzlikin's injury, well, he's sick, apparently. He's got an illness that will keep him out a week. And Sillinger is just, uh, again, it's just day-to-day. It, it all seems a little bit highly suspect, the, the fact that they're keeping them out. Now, maybe I'm just reading in too much to this, but it, right. it really hit me over the head. What, what did you think of it, Bruce? Well, I saw that name. Adam Boquist was on there, too, and now apparently he has a legitimate injury that's several yeah, weeks. Yeah, he's a while. And so, because his name was also popped up as possibly... Uh, uh possibly uh in the mix but you know if you're if you're thinking of structuring a trade Campbell and Broberg for uh Merzlikens and uh Sillinger you know that's a structure that uh on the salary cap front which is absolutely essential no trades happen in the National Hockey League unless the salary cap can be worked out and that's the trade that on the salary front is kind of a wash Right, I think Sillinger, he's in the last year of his ELC, as is uh, Broberg. He's Sillinger's younger because they put him right in the NHL at 18, this yeah. being Columbus. And uh, uh, and he had a hot start, and then, and then uh, things went sideways for him, as you pointed out. And that's kind of the sort of player that you might expect to get in return. Uh, I would make the case that Broberg... Uh, I'm not even so sure that he's, you know, he's failed in Edmonton. It's just things haven't worked out for him, and and he's had that brick wall built in front of him, and he's playing in an entirely different environment than, well, Cole Sillinger with Columbus that hasn't been a threat for the playoffs the entire time he's been there. Yeah. Not in win now mode, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, so uh, if you did that, I mean, just because of the play of Merzlikens, who's nine ten this year. After really being last year, he had the worst save percentage of uh, of the I think 68 uh, qualified goalies in the NHL. He was even down below Campbell, uh, but he's had a better start this year. So Edmonton would probably have to sweeten the pot, but I don't think it would be like two or three first round picks like some of the Campbell trade scenarios. No. And they just can't do that. The orders are, are have already. Uh, you know, they, they, their prospect pool is very shallow and their future draft pick pool is not that deep. And it's very likely they're going to be trading the first round pick to, to, uh, at the deadline this year to improve their team. Well, that's better than trading it just to get a contract off the books. You know, so it's uh, it's, it's at least a, a trade that's feasible as, yeah. a, you know, a two for two sort of basis to it. And. I would suggest that uh, uh, Oilers will be getting the better goalie and maybe that Columbus will be getting the better out player in uh, Broberg yeah. over Sillinger. Yeah, I think that's yeah. a fair comment, Bruce. Yeah, so, Sillinger, he really has, he scored, I think, 15 goals in his rookie year. Yeah. He looked like he was like as an 18 16, year old, like he was coming on 16 yeah. goals. And man, he's just struggled since then. So I, I don't really know about that player at all, but. Um, right. I still, I still, boy, that'll, I just think, wow, Philip Broberg, I just see him as a player who could, who could be his ceiling still to me as a top shutdown defenseman in the NHL. Like he can really skate. He's really big. He's very rangy. He's very fundamentally sound. He's a, he's a, he's a sound, smart player. He just needs ice time, some confidence and the backing of his team. Mm -hmm. And man, he has not had that at Edmonton. It's very frustrating. And I'm not hoping for an injury. No, but, but uh, that's what he, that's what he needs to sort of break the log yeah. down in front of him yeah. is for you know a job to open up where I mean the best that he's played for Edmonton in the time he's been here was last year in the third quarter of the season uh, the Oilers were going with the seven man D unit but uh, at the halfway point they called up Vincent DeHarnay and suddenly they had four right D and three left D. And so they were playing seven most games, but uh, Broberg was the third lefty. He was playing behind Nurse and Kulak. And they had four guys rotating over on the right side. Well, he, uh, Broberg mostly played with Bouchard in the third quarter on the third pairing, and they both crushed it. Like, they were big plus players in that time, and you know, Bouchard on third pairing 
was, uh, you know, really having a good time of it. But uh, they looked good together. And then at the deadline, they traded Tyson Berry, a right shot, for Matthias Ekholm, a left shot. And all of a sudden, now they got 70, but there's four lefties, and the three in front of them are all studs that are playing big minutes. And there's yeah. just, you know, like, so he was getting dribs and drabs, you know, on the third pairing, sometimes right, sometimes left, sometimes on the bench, you know, and uh, uh, his strong play in the third quarter kind of petered out. And he was the one guy, I think, who got most impacted in a negative way by the uh, Ekholm addition. And clearly it helped the team. It really helped Bouchard. Um, but uh, Broberg lost the numbers game on the left side right there. And then this year, the big plan was to put him on right defense with Ekholm or maybe put Ekholm on right defense, but pair those two guys up. And then Ekholm got hurt reportedly in the captain's skates and missed all the training camp. And he still said, even today, he said he's not fully recovered, that he's just learned to play with it and he's getting better. But... He's not 100% even yet. And that big opportunity that they had planned for uh, Broberg, like they sent Mark Stewart over to Sweden in the summer and they had showed him a bunch of film of him on the right side and talking about him playing with Ekholm and it just never happened. And he just, you know, that chance that he was supposed to get that they had planned for him just petered away due to circumstances. Yeah. And of course, uh, the team started off in a bad way and already they're in a not win win now mode but we better win now mode or or uh, we're in huge trouble so cc came back strong on the right side and yes. the frankly it outplayed broberg um on the right side and he's just mm -hmm. he just it's a different niche he's a different player yeah again the niche for broberg is kulak spot they're this very similar players in a lot of ways but um, anyway, nice. and I and I don't want to. I've been too like Brett Kulak has been really strong in the last two playoff seasons, and he's been strong this regular season. He has definitely outplayed Broberg this year in the regular season. So I don't. It's not like I blame them for their decision and their their inclination to go with Kulak. That makes that makes sense. But you have to like in the bigger picture, it doesn't. And, but it's not and, an easy trade, David. I mean, if you're a GM from a rival team you, and you're looking at the Oilers and they're saying, well, we have a, our third pairing that's kind of been been given up more goals than we'd like. Well, we have a third pairing left defenseman that's got two and three quarter years left on a deal that pays him two and three quarter million dollars. And he's got two points and he's like minus eight. And, you know, like what team is going to pay for that? Like what's the trade value? You're right. You know, you're maybe trading I, the maybe contract. Value not the, not, the player is fine, but the contract is, is not fine. And it's yeah. going to be hard you to can't trade. Play in the top four. Unless, listen, unless there's a team desperate for a defenseman who can mm -hmm. uh, who can play. And there's and there generally speaking is that, that kind of team who really needs a defenseman. So I think he's good value at the money he brings. Like it is a problem that he has not excelled in the top four. Because uh, he's just he's almost making top four money like he probably is in the modern NHL. He is making top four money because you can't have bottom pairing defense when making um, that amount of money, really. Like it's it's very difficult when you when you need to pay your stars um, the bigger contracts. You got to have a lot of guys who are making around a million a year. And you, those are usually a couple third pairing defensemen. So and going for, forward in the orders, I don't know how they can afford Kulak. So. um Anyway, but because just, of all of, if he had signed a two-year deal and yeah. he was on an expiring deal now, it would be way easier to trade and there would be a way more sort of obvious place where Broberg is going to land eventually. Yeah. Whereas now, he, you look at those guys and they all got like two more years left after yeah. this one. So He played anyway, so well he, in the playoffs that year that, he, that mm -hmm. he looked like he might move into the top four. So they thought, well, we'll give him near top four money. You know, that kind of makes sense because yeah. he looks like he's going to make that move. And then last year, for the first half of the year, he was not good. And then he got stronger and stronger and stronger and played really well in the playoffs again. So, ah, yeah. and anyway, good for Broberg, him. Broberg was on the ice for practice today. He wasn't listed on oh, some, but they, they said he wasn't going to play, but he did He did practice oh, as the extra okay. today. Yeah. And I would think that if there's not an imminent trade, that they should send him down to Bakersfield like now. Like he should yeah. be on the he should be on the red eye flight tonight to Bakersfield and going back there and playing games because sitting in the press box, you know, it's nice to watch wins from high above, but it's when the team's winning, he's uh, he's not apt to get out there. So get him get him playing. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I see Rashad. That's not a conundrum. Yeah. <laughs> Roberg was on the ice. That's my mistake. I misread that. Yeah, well, the All couple right, of reports today, they listed the extra forward, but not the extra D-man oh, because okay. it was so clear he wasn't going to play. I had that lodged in my head. Yeah. All right, Bruce, we'll see what happens there. Let's leave it there. Thanks for talking tonight. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>